previously on the Who's Who podcast. Next up is Dr. Occult, drawn by the amazing Eduardo Barreto. Dr. Occult is a magic-based character who basically just wears a trench coat and a fedora, and he carries around this sort of circular thing that I always thought it was just a pattern that goes back and forth. It's actually supposed to be like a cross. I didn't realize that. It's supposed to be a mystic cross. Um, okay. I didn't get that. Yeah, I've never it doesn't got... really look like that. It looks like a I'd... spinning top. Yeah, I always thought that too, but it's, a, it's apparently it's supposed to be a mystical cross. So... The interesting thing about this character, there's, there's, a, there's a debate about this character because he came out a long time ago. We're talking the early 1930s or mid-1930s. He was around before Superman. Yes. And, and they're created by the guys who did Superman, Seaclum Schuster. Yes, he is. And at one point, he went to go fight someone and uh, a villain, and the, these beings called the Seven gave him a costume to wear, which included a cape. So a lot of people give him the label of the first costume hero of the Golden Age. And it's sort of a, like a nasty fight that people have about this issue. It's like, I don't really know that it's worth the, the oxygen to do that. I mean, it was it was one appearance that he wore this, and Siegel and Schuster's intention was never him to be a superhero. He was a guy who could call on some mystical abilities, but he was never, you know, a Superman kind of character. So I, I call bogus on it, but I get where they're coming from. And Eduardo Barreto was clearly trying to channel Joe Schuster's work with this drawing because he made him give him that squinty face. I mean, Dr. Cole looks like Superman did in the 1930. Yeah, Squinty, like the Max, squinty eyes and stuff like that. Looks like that. the Max Fleischer cartoon, yeah. 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 If you replace the trench coat for a regular suit, that'd be Clark Kent with glasses. Or Dick Tracy, um, if you want to make it yellow. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Now, here's the interesting thing. This is where who's who sort of messed with people's perceptions, like messed with mine specifically. I read this, Dr. Occult, interesting character. You know, he made an appearance in Crisis as well. So I'm thinking, okay, here's a very active character. He's been around. He's a magical guy. Turns out that before this page in Who's Who that we're looking at right now, his last appearance was in June 1938. <laughs> he had not been seen since then. Well, no, that's not. No, that's not right. Uh, you sure? Yeah, he appeared in Detective Comics number 500. When was that published? Uh, like 1980. Really? Yes. Because that's not. Well, then uh, apparently Comic Book Database needs to update their records then. Okay. Because uh, according to that, he literally didn't appear. From 1938 to 19, till this issue here. So, okay, I guess he was in Detective Comics. There you have it, folks. Thanks, Rob. All my research I did. Where'd you get that Detective Comics 500 reference from? I, I have that book. Yeah, oh. I could be, look, I, I could be totally wrong, but I don't think I am. I think I remember that he was in there. Okay. I mean, it would make sense. It was a detective issue. I mean, wasn't that the one with all the detectives? Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah. So he went on to appear in All-Star Squadron and Crisis, and, you know, kind of, then he kind of moved over to the Vertigo universe for a while, was in sort of the, tied into the Books of Magic stuff, so great drawing, and uh, he's a really interesting character. Hello, and welcome to the fifth episode of Who's That? Who's That is a spinoff for the Who's Who podcast, which focuses on a single character that Rob or I discovered via their Who's Who listing. Now, we're going to look at their history in the DCU and whether their appearances in Who's Who was enough or is there more to explore. Rob, how you doing, buddy? Well, I have to say, Shag, that uh, after listening to that clip from the, uh, <laughs> the original Who's Who episode, this, that, that clip is the closest I will ever get to be uh, to be Batman because I pulled a boner there big time. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I was I was listening to the clip that you sent. Uh, you were nice enough to pull it out of the old show, and I'm listening oh, to I it. Oh, I made, sure yeah. made sure to pull that clip. And I'm listening to it, and I'm going, yeah, all right, okay. And then I'm like, oh, wait, what? And like, you idiot, stop talking. So, Of course, you're. hold on. You should tell the people, in case they don't know what part. Because, I mean, Rob talks a lot, and mostly it is idiotic. But he was specifically referring to Detective Comics number 500, right? I have no idea where I got that from. I have no idea where I got that from, that, that I that was so insistent that Dr. Colt was in Detective 500, which he is not. So, yeah, I, that clip is, is deeply, deeply embarrassing. Well, there are a lot of detectives in that issue. But it's not, just but all he's the detectives not in, yeah, from but, Detective Comics. Yeah, but he's not in it, though. I mean, but, he's just not. There's lots of other characters that are not in it, like Richie Rich, Soupy Sale, Sad Sack. None of those people are in it. Neither is Dr. Occult. So that was totally my fault. Dr. Colton Sadsack. That might be That'd the most be a interesting hell of team a team up. Uh, so, folks, yes, we, as you could tell from the clip, we're going to talk about Dr. Clip, and quite frankly, it's your fault. <laughs> Did you just say Dr. Clip? You just said Dr. Clip. I may have. I don't know. I don't know. Play it back right on top of the Detective 500 bit. So, <laughs> this is entirely your fault, people. We Last episode of Who's That? We put up a poll and we said, all right, we're going to let you guys choose the next character. We gave you five choices. We gave you five choices. Balloon Buster, drawn by Joe Kubert. Don Caballero, drawn by Bill Ray. Nightmaster, drawn by Charles Vess. Starfire, drawn by Mike Vosberg. 
and Dr. Occult, uh, drawn by Eduardo Barreto. And Rob, who they pick? Dr. Occult. Now, okay, look, we need to explain. First of all, I don't know how many more examples we need uh, to know that democracy just doesn't work because uh, <laughs> you patrons just screwed us. You really did. And I, this, is, this is what my memory was of how we did this poll because we both decided – I don't, for some reason, I think we feel like five – you need to have five choices. We really don't. Four would have been fine. Well, I guess – I gave you a list of 20 characters right. and you so, picked one well, no, of no, mine no, 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 no. four we, of yours. OK. Well, but, but eventually we sort of settled on two each of ours. You were big on Balloon Buster and Starfire and then yes. maybe – I think I, maybe um, Nightmaster was maybe my suggestion. I know Don Caballero Absolutely. was. So then we were like, okay, 50-50, let's just throw in a fifth one. And I, and I kind of just thoughtlessly was like, eh, Dr. Occult, he's okay. Let's throw him in. And then he friggin' What's won the on? damn thing. But he wasn't supposed to win the thing. For, right. Again, a democracy so, doesn't work. He so here's the wasn't thing, supposed folks. to win. That poll was completely rigged, okay? I know how you people are. I know the way you think. Many of you think like me with – your guy parts because I put Starfire in there, right? Like all the other entries, they look okay. The Starfire entry, I made sure to pull the cleanest copy. The colors pop. It's perfect. It's last. I had it all planned out that, okay, I rigged the poll. There is no way that Starfire cannot win this poll. And as Rob said, democracy failed us. So because yeah. at first we were like, oh, I guess Dr. Occult won. Then we started reading the books. Oh my gosh! Like it is criminal how unfair it is that a character can look that cool and have so many boring stories to well, read. Part of the problem is too that the bulk of the Doctor Occult stories you can't find. That's they're true. just not available because <laughs> these are this character predates Superman for Pete's sakes, and this stuff has not been reprinted virtually anywhere. So we had to visit some very dark corners of the internet to find even the <laughs> earliest versions of some of these Dr. Occult. We had to go to the dark web. I hope you people are happy. We had to go to the dark web to find some of this stuff. And it took several deep dives too. Cause like I'd find one of the pages. I'd be like, here you yeah. go, Rob, here's page three, you know, and then here's page four. It's so blurry. You can't read it, but there it is. And Oh my gosh. Now, before we get into this folks, we should also mention, by the way, there is a new sort of sister show to this out there right now. Uh, our buddy Siskoid over on the FW Presents feed has started his own show. I guess he can't wait for us each uh, month to come out with a show. And he's doing Who's Editing, where he's going through the classic Who's Who issues one at a time, and he gets a guest on there, and they basically say, hey, um, here's an issue of Who's Who. How would you do your own universe based on these characters? If you were developing a universe of books for DC Comics – and you had this issue of who's who, and you had to make a book for every single hero in this in here. What would you do? He's gotten three, two episodes out so far. Maybe a third by the time this is out. Really, really interesting stuff. It's a lot of fun. You guys should definitely check it out. I'm going to be starting my own uh, show called uh, Zero Mostel, which is all about the the work of Zero Mostel. Because I'm going to be bouncing off all of Siskoid's uh, ideas for his shows. To see how <laughs> see how he likes it. <laughs> Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Well, with that segue, let's go to our sponsors. Uh, folks, this episode of Who's Good. That? Good segue. Thank you. It's sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Now, what would you bring, Rob? I brought the Books of Magic 30th Anniversary Deluxe Edition hardcover. It's, of course, by Neil Gaiman and John Bolton, and it features the adventures of Tim Hunter, and uh, he hobnobs with John Constantine, the Phantom Stranger, Mr. E, and... Dr. Occult, as they Woo. attempt to aid Timothy in choosing his path. But by the time Timothy makes a choice, it may have already been made for him. 208 pages, normal price $29.99, in stock trades price $17.39. That is 42% off. So, uh, again, you're going to get a bunch of really cool characters drawn by some of the best comic book artists in the business and written by Neil Gaiman. You can't beat it. So, uh, Books of Magic, Deluxe Anniversary Hardcover. It's good stuff, and I like to call it that time Neil Gaiman wrote Harry Potter before J.K. Rowling. There so. you go. Uh, I brought – and uh, I brought this th this book a few times now, but there's a reason for it. I brought the um, – where is the name? Here we go. JSA Omnibus Hardcover Volume 1. Now, this is one of those ginormous omnibuses you know, that are ridiculously 1,124 pages. As Rob always says, you could kill a person with it or stop a bullet or whatever. But I brought this specifically because it features a great run of comics called JSA Returns, which came out in 1999. It was the lead-up to the return of the JSA series. 
all takes place during the Golden Age, and it's like new stories from the Golden Age. And the reason I'm mentioning it is because Dr. Occult plays a very important role in the story. And it's a great run of comics if you've never read it. So the JSA co- collection here, again, uh, the Omnibus um, normally retails for $125. You can get it for 42% off, so it's only $72.50. You get a lot of stuff from Jeff Johns, James Robinson, some Steven Sadowski art, lots of great stuff in there. Uh, and, of course, you know, tw- first 25 issues of JSA, which is an amazing run of comics in the, from the recent years. So well worth your time, and it's a good place to find some Dr. Occult stuff. This episode is also sponsored in part by you guys, our Patreon supporters. We really appreciate it. Patreon support really helps keep the network going, guys. And uh, I can't tell you how much we appreciate your help and help cover the bills because it gets really expensive with all the hosting and those sort of services. So uh, if you are interested in supporting the Fire and Water Podcast Network, please go out to our Patreon. What's that website, Rob? Patreon.com slash Podcasts. Yep, and you go out there, you can support the whole network, and um, you know, really, it's the best way to support a show like Who's Who or Who's That and all on there. And uh, it, at certain tiers, you get mentioned on the show of your choice, just like these folks. We'd like to thank Christopher Lydon, Damian Whiter, Daniel Butnick, Jeremiah Jones Goldstein, Michael Atchison, Nathan Archer, Michael O'Brien, Noah Tarnow, Paul Kenzel, Tom Paneris, Corey Drew, David Is Gutierrez, and Gord Tolton. Fantastic. Again, if you go out to our Patreon, that's patreon.com slash fwpodcast. So, and I feel really bad because, like, I stumbled over Nathan Archer's name. He's like a buddy of mine. We hang out and stuff. Like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, Nathan. You deserve better. You deserve better than me. You still can't say nuclear after 10 years. So, I mean, I don't think Nathan should get that upset. Next year is our 10-year anniversary. That's so messed up. That's <laughs> my longest relationship to date. <laughs> All right, folks. So, here's the question of the day. Who is Dr. Occult? comma, ghost detective. Yeah, that's what he was called in the Golden Age, folks. So you got to go all the way back to 1935. He was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. And, uh, but if you read those old Golden, State, Golden Age strips, you wouldn't know that because it's credited to uh, Legger and Ruth's. And I, I had to look this up. Turns out that that's a, a, what they call a pseudo-anagram of uh, Siegel and Schuster, I guess, sort of, if you play with it a little bit. And the reason they think that is because uh, inside the same magazine there were other works by uh, Siegel and Schuster, so they didn't want to have the same ones all the time. And uh, in a lot of ways, Dr. Occult is suggested as sort of a prototype for Superman. Because if you look at the way Schuster drew him, he looks very, very similar to Clark Kent. And quite a bit like Dick Tracy also, really. But uh, the gist of it was he was a supernatural detective who uh, – it was very much in the style of Sam Spade. Uh, except it had, he had some supernatural abilities and it had a supporting cast with uh, Rose Psychic and his butler Jenkins. But it was all about going out there and stopping supernatural bad guys. And in the original Golden Age tales, Dr. Occult didn't necessarily exhibit really any of his own powers. He had um, – he was uh, – here's a quote here – sworn to combat supernatural evil in this world. And he had this thing he carried called a mystic symbol. And in the comics we looked at, it's basically a circular device uh, with a section into eight parts with a black black parts and red parts. And it looks like it's like a big plus sign on it. It's supposed to be some sort of cross. And But in those Golden Age stories, that symbol continued to evolve and look differently. But when they brought him back in the more modern area that returned it to the original mystic symbol. So anyway, uh, he didn't really have his own powers. He used this mystic symbol, and that's what he would blast things with. Later on, he did develop powers, though, and um, he battled all kinds of crazy stuff. Why don't you, why don't you take it from here? Yeah, uh, I mean, part of the reason that uh, he sort of has a bunch of footnotes in comics history, obviously, because he's a creation of Siegel and Schuster, which you just pointed out, and he was superhero-ish, uh, but there was even a point where he wore a blue costume and a red cape before Superman. So there was this brief part where they tried to kind of turn him into what you would classically think of as a superhero Super- uh, before Superman. So, I mean, you can see there's a lot of their – Siegel and Schuster sort of probably developing some of these ideas. And another weird little footnote is that he – even though he's a DC Comics or National Periodical Publications character, he actually appeared in a comic book from another publisher. He was in Centaur Publications, the comics magazine number one under the name Dr. Mystic. As the same character, because of the story, The Coffin and the Seven, began in the comics magazine and then continued into more fun comics, number 14 through 17. And in this story, he travels to a mystic realm where he flies and wears a cape, making him the first caped comic book superhero. So that's baffling as to why he appeared in another publica- in another well, company's publication and then worked his way back into D.C. 
I read some speculation on it. Um, again, it's just speculation. One one source was stating that potentially what happened was there was a guy, I guess, who left National Periodicals or who, whoever was publishing these. I, I get a little mixed up about uh, All American and National and all that. But anyway, and he, he, he left and supposedly he's just swiped a bunch of artwork. And went yeah. off okay. to the other company and published it over there, figuring that was his, you know, his his severance package. I guess is the way he thought of it. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but it makes for a heck of a good story. <laughs> Always better to ask for uh, forgiveness than permission. Uh, right. Eventually, the character evolves to the Doctor Colt, and his and his partner Rose merged and shared the body. Uh, I would have fun with that. Each taking turns <laughs> being the dominant form and personality. So hey. Dr. Colt was uh, ACDC real early. It was uh, pretty amazing. <laughs> we even see some of that in Books of Magic where, like, Timothy Hunter's talking to Dr. Colt, and then they walk around a corner, and now he's talking to Rose. And he's like, wait, what, what happened there? She's like, oh, I'm the same person. We're just soulmates. We share a soul. I'm like, well, okay. So uh, it was kind of interesting. So Dr. Colt's power. So I mentioned to you already. Originally, like, he didn't have his own powers. He had the mystic symbol. And then eventually he just did. And it, it was kind of a situation like the way a lot of Golden Age stuff works. is like he had the powers when he needed them to. So, like, he at different times he had astral projection or spatial travel. He could become immaterial. He could control things of the mind. He could cast illusions. Um, and, and the symbol, by the way, was called, sometimes referred to as the symbol of the seven. And that becomes a bigger thing, especially in, like, the Secret Origins thing. Thing. And he was often used uh, in, in ways to help amplify the powers of other mystical practitioners. And in fact, we saw some of that in some of the issues we read here. Now, um, we mentioned already that he, he, he's squinty-eyed. He looks a little bit like Superman. In a lot of ways, though, he looks, to me, a lot more like Dick Tracy yeah. than he does Superman, wouldn't you say? Yeah, with the fedora and the trench coat. If you just colored them more yellow than the, than the tan, yeah, he would look exactly like Dick Tracy. And that, and that makes a good segue to talk about where our, our interest really sparked here, which comes from Who's Who. So he appeared in Who's Who, the Definitive Directory of the DC Universe number 6, which was in August 1985 and is drawn by Eduardo Barreto. And then he was in Who's Who Update 88 number 1, which was drawn by Rick Stasi and Rick, uh, Rich Rankin. So I don't know I, I don't know that we have to talk about the first one because we, we just did and we just played the audio clip of it, but it looks great. I, I do love it. But I, the Rich Rankin one, I, I kind of like that one a little bit better, I think i don't know what do you think they're both they're great both listings i mean that was really part of the thing that that got us in, inspired to talk about him was that this was one of those characters that you know by the time you and i got to who's who he, he this guy was not seen anywhere uh other than again he was about to appear briefly in all-star squadron but the listing is so cool looking I, to me the beretta one is my favorite i like the rick stassi one but the beretta one is so sharp that uh it still remains one of my favorite who's who listings and again it's one of those characters that you're like wait who Who's this guy? Mm -hmm. You know, so uh, yeah, and that's part of the that part of the reason that we liked Who's Who as much as we did is that it introduced you to characters and concepts you'd never heard of, and might think, "Wow, this is, this is pretty cool. I want to see this guy again." Yeah, there's a lot of the, the the Who's Who entries really lend a lot of mystique and a lot of coolness to it. And um, I don't mean to show my hand a little early, but I, I might want to say that yeah, that not you know not knowing that mystique and wondering it might <laughs> might it might be like might be the better option. So. Uh, let's get into his comic appearances here. So his first appearance is in New Fun Comics number six. So October 1935. I mean, that's freaking ancient. He is, he's credited as being, it's, I don't remember the exact phrasing, but it's something like the oldest comic book superhero that DC ever published or something like that because of the stuff you mentioned with the cape and all that. So he's considered that. Um, so it was New Fun Comics, which was uh, in this anthology series that was originally uh, retitled New Fun and then was retitled as More Fun. So he kept continuing through there. And it's interesting. I went back and looked at some of these issues, and these are legitimately like the way comic books used to be, which would be a collection of just random strips that you'd get basically one page. It yeah, was they're, like, they're Sunday pages. They look, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's exactly. I mean, I talk about this over on Treasury Cast when I did the New Fun Famous First Edition is that mm. the first New Fun comic is all just basically Sunday pages, and that's what these Dr. Occult stories are. Exactly, exactly. So he continues in more fun comics all the way until issue number 32, which is published, uh, at least according to Mike's Amazing World, is June 1938. And that's his last Golden Age appearance, which is sort of interesting because his last Golden Age appearance is the same month as Superman's first appearance. <laughs> so Siegel and Schuster just shifted right over with their squinty eyes. So 1938 goes by, and he doesn't appear again for 47 freaking years. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, he first shows up in uh, Who's Who, what we just looked at, Definitive Guide to the DC Universe, and number six, in August of 1985, and then in All-Star Squadron number 49 the very next month, September 1985. And he definitely did not appear in Detective Comics number 500. <laughs> 
I put that note in there for Rob and highlighted it for him just so he didn't yes. have to say it. And it's highlighted in blood red, by the way. <laughs> so uh, after he appears in All-Star Squadron, after this 47-year gap, Roy Thomas continues to use him for a while in All-Star Squadron and Young All-Stars, and then it sort of takes a little while, and then sort of the engine gets rolling, and he just becomes part of the mystical backdrop of the DC Universe. So anytime there's a big mystical brouhaha, he's going to show up nowadays. So why don't we get in and cover some of these appearances? All right, yeah. Well, the first one we're, we're here to talk about is his one of his earliest appearances. It's uh, from New No, it is his first appearance. Well, I, yeah, I guess it's true. That New Fun number New six Fun is his first appearance. Yeah, his New Fun, New Fun Comics, Com- More Fun Comics, number six. Uh, and this story is called The Vampire Master, part one. And then and New, New Fun became More Fun as of number seven. So the next three installments ran in More Fun uh, Comics seven, eight, and nine. So, okay, <laughs> strap it, everybody, because this is what happens in this story. Dr. Occult walks by an alley where a man is being attacked by a vampire. After warding the monster off, Dr. Occult sends the man home. That night, the vampire, having followed his original intended victim, sneaks into the house and bites the neck of the man's wife. After placing the woman in his sanitarium, Dr. Occult substitutes his assistant Rose as bait. The vampire returns the next night, but Occult's magic amulet has no effect on him. The next day, the local newspaper receives a letter from the vampire master saying unless he is paid $100,000 Per week, he will overrun the city with vampires. The authorities reject this, and soon the vampire master makes good on his promise. Another letter arrives, asking Dr. Occult to be at a particular corner at midnight. He waits there and is met by Mrs. Amster, who has disappeared from the sanitarium. Occult takes her back to her husband, whom she tries to kill. Realizing she was the victim of a post-hypnotic suggestion, Dr. Occult wakes her up and uses her to find the vampire master's hideout. It turns out that the Vampire Master is a guy named Bart Moore, a would-be former suitor of Mrs. Amster. He has created a ray that can create living beings out of his imagination. He has created a bunch of monsters and a duplicate Mrs. Amster who attacks her creator once he reveals he will kill the duplicate Mrs. Amster by transferring the real Mrs. Amster's soul into her body. Moore then destroys the duplicate before she can kill the real Mrs. Amster, then blows up his lab with him in it. Dr. Colt and the answers remark, that's the end of the Vampire Master. So, okay, everybody. <laughs> I'm Let, glad you did the recap because I didn't even understand what happened in that last li- segment. Think about how long I just talked. That was four pages. Yes. <laughs> that, that recap was only four pages of the story. That is how much goes on in this story. And I will say I enjoyed the hell out of this thing because it is batshit nuts. It just is. <laughs> I mean, this thing. I mean, this. There is so much stuff just blown over that literally the entire city is taken over by vampires. That's given one panel, one panel. They just had no time to dilly dally in this story. So it is bonkers. I like that. If the rest of the Doctor Occult stories from this time are this fun, I want to read the rest of these because they are like a fever dream. Uh, but man, they are just, they are screwy. The, the, it's interesting too, because like the first three installments sort of go on a path, you know, where like, okay, you got a vampire. Oh, the wife's been turned. She's dangerous. Okay. He's going to get jumped. And then all of a sudden that, and that's where I got lost was in the fourth, fourth part. And your recap sort of made a lot more sense. He's made a machine to duplicate people in the duplicate. Mrs. Amherst kills the re- fighting the real Amherst. It, what? What? It becomes a sci-fi I mean, story in the fourth page of this four-page story. All of a sudden, you're like, wait, <laughs> what? Yeah, and that, like all the duplicates are green-skinned for some reason. And we see we, he even talks about the other duplicates created. And you see, there's like a Frankenstein and like a sort of Wolfman creature. Like it's just it. It it's it's completely screwy. I mean, the ending reminds me a little bit of the Bride of Frankenstein, uh, and I have to think there is probably some influence there. I have to say, Doctor Cult doesn't do a lot in this story. That is the one <laughs> downside. In fact, it's really the duplicate Mrs. Amster that does everything at the end, and then he Doctor Cult's locked up in a cage at the, in the in, during the final segment. So he really isn't all that heroic here, and he's got the he's got the. The magic amulet, which doesn't seem to do anything exactly. I mean, Rose is the one that subjects herself to being the bait. So he, for a first appearance, he's, he doesn't come off super well here. Well, the, I would say the first two installments 
he's doing all right because he's got the the the, the talisman and he and he is warding off a vampire in the in the first installment. So that's pretty good. Um, or wait, maybe no, that's the first one, right? Yeah, where he's in the alley, the guy's yeah. in the alley, and he gets yeah. him. So he he does some good stuff there. So I was okay with that. But yeah, the the the, the fourth one especially, he's just a he's just an observer in yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. That sci-fi tale. Um, now he's called the ghost detective, which, by the way, I, I, doing a little research on that. Well, basically, I guess that was a, a common expression back in the in the day to mean someone who's going to debunk supernatural stuff. Is kind of what it was. Cause oh, okay. It, is if you read Ghost, at least if I understand correctly, I, I don't know if I've got my, teen, my 1940s or 30s lingo correct, but uh, because if you read Doctor Cult Ghost Detective, and then he's fighting vampires on his first outing, was like a little bit. Why isn't he fighting a ghost? You know, <laughs> but that's why he he picked up that name Ghost Detective, which they later call him Psychic Detective down in, in All Star Squadron. But so yeah, that's um, and these are the installments that we had to go to the dark web for. Yep. So I also we'll by make the way. Sure I, these- Oh, I'm sorry. I I, didn't, I I just wanted a couple of things I wanted to mention. I love that the vampire is an extortionist. Like <laughs> he just wants money, which is funny. I mean, of course, we turned to that it's not. It's it's the it's a scientist. But I like the idea that the that the vampire is holding the town hostage. And by the way, he wanted, as I mentioned, a hundred grand a week in 1935 money. Where the hell do we ever get like that? They they fought the entirety of World War II with that money. Where are they going to get that? So. It's it, it is a it's just bonkers. It really, really is. And uh, but I like I said I enjoyed it. I think he wrote the first three installments, or they wrote the first three installments, and didn't have the ending planned. Because again, the ending is such a left turn yeah. that I don't think they had this planned out. I think it was all a straightforward vampire story. Um, because I mean, she even gets bit by a vampire, gets turned into one, and yet they're a creation. Now, so I, I think they changed their mind at the last minute. Could be. Um, I will say the art is fantastic. I mean, it's really, really great. Um, yeah, because I'm me, I will say Miss Amherst, smoking hot. I mean, really nice. Amster. Her name is Amster. What am I saying? Amherst. You're saying Amherst. Amster. Gotcha. Uh, Rose also smoking hot. And and Dr. Uh, Occult looks really cool. I mean, he, I I don't see as much Clark Kent as, as everyone says he's supposed to be Clark Kent. He looks a little more rugged to me than Clark Kent, but, uh, he looks totally boss. Yeah, I, I like Joe Schuster's artwork generally. It's obviously it's very crude compared to what we're we're used to, but I I genuinely kind of like it. So I mean, yeah, it didn't didn't bother me. I mean, he's got the snap rim for door and all that stuff, which is cool. I like the the way he draws the vampire. Looks so he looks um kind of Nosferatu ish, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to uh, I mean, you got to think this story was published in 1935. This is after Dracula with Bela Lugosi. Yeah. Uh, so, but he doesn't look like Bela Lugosi. He still looks kind of like more demon like. Uh, so, I mean, that, I like that too. So, uh, in fact, he looks a little bit like the big creature we see in that pulp story, Reign of the Superman, which was by Siegel and Schuster, which hmm. was like something they did before they actually published Superman. There's like a big fanged looking guy and he kind of looks like that. So, I mean, I think Schuster was probably borrowing from himself a little bit. Well, go, go to the first installment, if you would. Okay. Uh, and then go to the one, two, three, four, five, the sixth panel. It's a profile shot of Dr. Occult, all in pencil, uh, and it just looks stunning. Like you said, some of this is crude. I think some of this is gorgeous. Like it's almost like, you know, well, my, I was going to say, you know, Michael Fleischer, uh, or Fle- not Michael, but the, the Fleischer the cartoons. The Fleischer brothers, yeah. Yeah, uh, the Fleischer cartoons. Uh, although, I mean, that was based on Schuster's artwork anyway, yeah. so I guess that makes sense. But it's just, I think it's beautiful. I don't think it's crude at all. I think it's stunning. So. I guess I just mean it's just a little simplistic, but I mean the, the line work is really nice. And again, yeah. for he's working in a – it's a lot to fit in. Uh, again, it's – these are basically newspaper strips just published in comic book form. That's really what this is. So. I, and I don't I, think these were inked. I think um, at least the first two installments. I think those were just penciled. Uh, I bet you they. I bet you they were inked. I, I don't so? think. I don't okay. think they would have reproduced very well if they were just pencils. But mm. I, I would love to see a collection of this. I, I really would. I mean, it might be a bit repetitive, but uh, it is. It, it's a shame this stuff is still considering how much stuff has been republished. I mean, like I mentioned, good lord, new fun number one just got a del- got the deluxe treatment as a treasury sized hardcover. I would love to see a Doctor Occult collection. These are if, – if the rest of the stories are this fun, I'd want to read them. It's pretty bonkers. I, I actually went on the DC app and looked for new fun and more fun comics, and uh, it's, it's horribly lacking. There's yep. just a couple yep. of more fun uh, issues that have like Doctor Fate appearances and stuff like that, really. That's all there is. And for all we know, they may not even have this stuff, and they literally may not even have the plates available to reprint it. It's po- that's possible. Yeah, quite possibly. 
All right. Well, folks, we're going to jump 47 years <laughs> into the future, and we're going to jump into All-Star Squadron. And uh, he appeared in several issues of All-Star Squadron. And I'm going to – I'm only going to touch on these things. Like I, I read most of them. Some of them I just flipped through if he wasn't really critical to it. And I'm really focusing on what Dr. Occult's uh, contribution to the issue is. So we'll start with All-Star Squadron number 49 from September 1985. It's called Death Sword at Sunrise. And uh, the cover even has a little shout-out. It says, extra, for the first time in nearly 50 years, Dr. Occult. So here's here's a little brief, super brief recap. In April of 1942, the All-Star Squadron were on the trail of the evil wizard Wotan in the south of England. And Dr. Fate, Robot Man, Firebrand, and the Shining Knight were all captured by Wotan and imprisoned in his new and sinister Camelot. There, the All-Star Squadron meet a fellow prisoner, Dr. Occult. Again, first appearance of 47 years. Our man, Blackhawk, and the Shining Knight lead the way to freeing the prisoners. And when Dr. Occult regains possession of his mystic symbol, he helps the heroes and uh, is returned with them back to the United States. Now, of note in here, there is uh, when he's in his prison cell, he just gets very talky-talky, because it's a Roy Thomas comic. And he gets a full-page flashback where Dr. Occult recalls his fights with Koth, which Rob mentioned earlier. The blue, you know, the blue costume with the red cape gets mentioned. His battle with vampires and werewolves and all kinds of stuff. And uh, at this point, again, they, they've restylized his mystic talisman to the way it looked in his first appearance again, which is that red and black classic disc that we know. Uh, if you go back to a lot of the later Golden Age stories, though, you'll see it look like a weird, I don't know, just like a weird uh, pin you might wear or something. It looks very strange. So that's All-Star Squadron 49. So we'll keep rolling uh, into All-Star Squadron number 50, which is a Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover. It's called Crisis Point, and I'm just going to barely mention this because he's in it, and he's at a war bond dance. And really the cool thing about it is he gets to dance with uh, the Phantom Lady, mm-hmm. so good, good for him. So uh, in, in this was it really just – it was like you – know, it was the way the, the Crisis on Infinite Earths was reaching Earth 2 in 1942. That's what this whole issue is. In fact, some of the scenes in here are replayed in some of the Crisis issues. It was Roy tying all into that. And uh, in that, really the only thing Dr. Occult does, other than have a dance, his symbol reacts when uh, Harbinger shows up and it's like, oh, something's going on. So it's a mystical thing. It's sort of wiggly-wobbly. And and also it is revealed in this issue, oddly enough, that his real name, he says, is Osgood Armsby, which is never mentioned again in any form, anywhere, even by Roy Thomas himself. So I don't know where that was coming out of left field. I wondered if it was somebody's name. I tried Googling. I couldn't find any connection to it, so I don't know. But, um, and then, you know, looking back at these All-Star Squadron issues, Roy really went out of his way to work the crisis into his All-Star Squadron stories. He tried and so then, hard. Well, and then to get the short shrift later by, you know, being told that he would still be able to do his comics and then pulling the rug out. I mean, that's just horrible, especially considering how much he worked it in more than most other people, so. So we jump forward from All-Star Squadron number 50 to All-Star Squadron 53, and now we're sort of in the uh, the Mr. Mind's Monster Society of Evil story. He's in issue 53 and 54. Uh, there's not a lot to say here. Basically, in here, Dr. Cult, he meets Superman at the All-Star Squadron headquarters, and that's sort of relevant because they're both, you know, Siegel and Schuster creations. They have a moment where they meet, and they even sort of make jokes about his looks and things that's in there. And uh, And also... Uh, there's one scene where he, where Dr. Colt flies around with Robot Man while they're looking for the Mi- uh, Mr. Mind's Monster Society view. But that's really about it. Jump forward to All-Star Squadron 57, and this is one where he, used, get, he gets used more. Basically what happens is uh, he, he's very instrumental in locating the missing JSA members. They, they've all gone missing, and he combines his powers with that of Dr. Fate. I mentioned that earlier, that a lot of times he was used to sort of enhance other mystical characters. Well, here, him and Dr. Fate work together, and they're able to see out into the universe. And basically what, what, what only happens is this issue was a retelling of the classic All-Star Comics number 13 from 1942 – famous story called Shanghai to his space, and that's where each one of the JSA members were shot off on a rocket to a different planet. And so Roy took this chance to retell that story, and he used Dr. Occult sort of as a framework to be able to say, the people on Earth found out what's happened to the JSA because Dr. Occult told them. So he just, he, he's sort of the narrator to tell them what's going on. Then you jump forward to All-Star Squadron number 59 and 60, and really he's just there uh, to recap that the JSA was missing. And for that really famous pre-crisis and post-crisis photo they do, you know, in that issue at the end of All-Star Squadron where it's all the heroes, they take the picture, and then Crisis Wave hits them, Hmm. and they show the same picture, and all the classic characters have been replaced. So that's really all that happens. So – Dr. Colt really doesn't do very much, which is sort of weird to me, because Roy Thomas goes really out of his way to bring Dr. Colt back. He puts even a shout-out on the cover. You know, after 47 years, he's back. He brings it back. He hangs around. He doesn't do much. 
So I, I don't know whether Roy had different plans for him or just wanted him back in the book. I don't really know. I, I Yeah, he doesn't get a whole ton to do, and uh, I'm not a fan of the artwork. Like, that was like, really kind of rough, some of those issues. Yeah, some of it was. But uh, but I was very happy to see him in there. And uh, you could just tell Roy was really enjoying – I mean, I, if you're a comic book writer who loved all this minutia like we know Roy did and does, that's got to be great to have uh, – writing a character that has not appeared in, in half a century – so that's yeah. just, I just love seeing him with the rest of the, the All Star Squadron members. So for me, I I've read a lot of All Star Squadron over the years, but for the most part, I would say I read the first thirty thirty five issues or so, and those are the ones I'd read and reread and things like that. So I while I've certainly been exposed to these later issues, I, I probably haven't read them in a zillion years. Uh, and a lot in a lot of ways, I felt like I was reading them for the first time. And one of the things that really jumped out at me is. Um, now I'm gonna I'm gonna speak heresy here because I'm gonna talk bad about All Star Squadron. You ready? Um, most of the characters in these All Star Squadron issues they're super bland and don't have personalities. They, I mean, they each do specific things and are connected to different characters. Like you know, Our Man's having trouble with Miraculo, you know, uh, and Johnny Quick and Liberty Bell get married. But just because they have actions, it's not giving them personalities. Most of them are just very typical golden age, sort of silver age, like the, the blank good guy. They're like, I'm doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do kind of stuff. And it, it was very weird. I didn't really feel like I got a sense for who the characters were. And I didn't get a, feel like I got a sense for who Dr. Occult was uh, until some later books I'll mention in a bit. So um, that was tough. It was tough uh, to, to get through that for me. I need to reread that series. I, I have every issue of All-Star Squadron, and man, I loved it uh, as, a, as a kid especially. I just – Ate it up, but yeah, I would say some of the later ones are, are not quite as sharp. And I did reread these ones with, uh, or look them over at least, the ones with with Doctor Calden. Yeah, I was a little like, yeah, he's not doing a whole lot for me here. And if I wasn't familiar who the character was, I wouldn't come away like, oh, I want to see more of his adventures. Part of it because he's never in like his fedora, like he's hmm, never, you know what I mean? True. Like he's just in like regular clothes. And you're like, well, who's this guy with this little fun little. Uh, you know, Cracker Jack thing that he got out of a box. I mean, what is this thing? You know what I mean? Like, part of it is the look, I have to say. And he doesn't get the look in the issues of All-Star Squadron. That's fair. That's that's a fair That's a fair call. So, uh, Of course, his, of course his, his other big appearance we need to talk about is in Secret Origins. He got uh, – he co, uh, co-cover – what was going on my chest? He co-featured in Secret <laughs> Origins. I don't know why I couldn't think of the word. He co- for you to say. Yeah, he was the co-star in Secret Origins, Origins Volume Two, Number Seventeen, uh, August from nineteen eighty-seven. Uh, he was he shared the book with Adam Strange. This story was the Secret Origin of Doctor Occult. It's by, of course, Roy Thomas, E. Nelson Bridwell, and his final comic book credit uh, with art by Howard Simpson and Bob Lewis. And uh, if you think Fr- friend of the friend of the network, that's Howard right, Howard Simpson. And by the way, if you think that I stole a lot of uh, the up coming synopsis from the issue from the episode of secret origins where ryan and michael bradley covered this uh, story you would be correct so uh on the (laughs) on the eve i had to transcribe it so on the eve of the 20th century a satanic cult prepares to sacrifice two infants stolen from a god-fearing family before they can be harmed however a demon named koth arrives not satan who they were trying to call and say and uh, koth says that the innocent souls are of no use to him he needs the souls of sinners like the cult members as they die and are dragged to hell koth notices the infants have disappeared the two babies have been spirited away by a man named zator to a land of mystics named the seven so they can be taught in the ways of the supernatural Zador names them Doc and Rose, and when they grow up, they are sent into the world to battle the forces of evil. Doc takes the name of Richard and sets up shop as an occult detective with Rose as his assistant. When the police start facing supernatural beings like vampires and werewolves, they turn to occult for help. Later, Zador returns to get help from occult and Rose to help battle Koth, who is back to destroy the Seven. They give a cult a costume, a sword, and a magic belt, and he battles Koth. With the help of the Seven, Koth is destroyed. Dr. Occult then returns to New York, having proved himself to the Seven, ready to continue fighting the forces of evil. So, uh, I, you know, look, okay, part of the problem of the, just the inherent format of the Secret Origins is you're seeing the first installment of a character, and maybe that's not the thing that you necessarily, you necessarily want. want. And... That's the case here. I mean, I want to see Dr. Occult in his trench coat with Rose hunting down ghosts or vampires or werewolves, but we don't get any of that here. This is this is like a Dr. Strange story with a cult and all this stuff. And, you know, it was okay, but it's it wasn't what I wanted to read. But, of course, 
Roy Thomas is doing the origin. So you have to see how it all came about. But it's just kind of like, yeah, again, I don't – this wouldn't make me want to see more Dr. Occult stories. Well, and the thing is Roy had the freedom to do whatever he wanted because Dr. Occult had never had an origin up to this point. This was his first time his origin was ever told. But I know what Roy's trying to do here. Roy is trying to focus in on the costume part because remember the whole thing that he had the costume for Superman. And the battle with – was it Koth? Yeah, the battle with Koth, Koth yeah. that was the story where he had the costume. So he built the entire – and that had to deal with the Seven. So he built the entire origin around that story where he gets the costume so he could build to that. And and, and that becomes the whole focus. And it does it a disservice. It really does because you're right. They, they could have just said uh, whatever to get you to the point where he goes out and has the adventures, which is what would have been the more interesting story to tell. So yeah, it – um. This was a real. I mean, the art was it was nice. I, I really like that, uh, and I like some bits and pieces and some of the dialogue. But for the most part, it was a snooze fest. Um, just didn't hold my attention at all. And this this is when I started getting all ranty, like, "Why can't I read a good Doctor Occult story?" <laughs> Damn it! Uh, I did get there though, and I'm going to give you a few in a minute, folks. I did mention this is uh, E. Nelson Bridwell's final credit in a DC comic. Uh, in fact, uh, Dick Giordano's memorial to him in the Meanwhile columns well, in the same issue. Uh, so that's kind of a significant, and that E&B was, you know, one of the great key. I mean, boy, but you imagine the comics knowledge between him and Roy Thomas. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> but and the cover is really cool by Kevin Nolan. When else are you going to get to see Adam Strange and Doctor Occult in the same shot? In the same shot. Yep. Um, but but yeah, it. it it's it's not the story that I would have yeah, wanted to read. It, it, you see the who's who listing, and you're like, give me more of that, and that's not what this is. Yeah. So, all right, I'm going to give some shout-outs to some other appearances. I mean, he's had, as I said, tons. Because once they brought him back and, and made him part of the mystical community, he appears all the time. In fact, I'm looking at my Crisis of Infinite Earth poster, um, this thing that's like you know five feet long, six feet long, whatever, and it hangs over my couch, and I see it every day while I'm working. Yeah. That's a humble brag, by the way. Anyway, uh, in there, there's these cool snapshots that you know Perez and Alex Ross did. Of like, you've got the big montage, but then there's these little like windows, almost like TVs across the top. In the far right one, which would be the cover essentially of the the, tra- the collection, is uh, the last one is Alan Scott and Doctor Occult. I mean, he's got a really dominant uh, appearance here on this this giant poster of Doctor Occult. So he's he's out there. He's in the places. So. All right, places to find him, Crisis on Infinite Earths, already mentioned that, obviously. Uh, Rob already mentioned Books of Magic by Neil Gaiman, that's a great one. Then uh, they actually did a miniseries in 1999 called The Trenchco Brigade, alongside Mr. E and Phantom Stranger, John Constantine. Then you can go to Days of Judgment, where you get the super, the supernatural super team, the, uh, the Sentinels of Magic, he shows up in there. Then, um, and, and here's a triumphant one for you folks, here's a good one. Uh, I mentioned it earlier in the in stock trades, JSA returns. It was a eight or nine issue storyline. It, it, it bookends with two issues of All Star Comics, and in the middle is like a National Comics and a Sensational Comics and a Thrilling Comics, and it's it's all the old titles basically. And they did one issue of each, and it is super fun. Again, Robinson wrote some, Mark Wade wrote some of them. It, they're fantastic, and. Dr. Occult is the linchpin of the story. It starts off where uh, they're, they're, uh, they're using Dr. Occult, uh, and then by the end, he is integral into the resolution in the final part. So, uh, yeah, that's a great Dr. Occult story there. Then uh, he shows up in a lot of JSA books here and there. And then there was this miniseries. It came out in 2009, I think. I think – maybe I'm wrong, but I think this miniseries kind of went under the radar. It was called Rain in Hell. And it basically, it was, it was almost like DC took it. It was written by Keith Given. Uh, he took every like magical character they could find, whether it was from Shadow Pack or any historical stuff, and threw them. Wow, Rob just copied and pasted this amazingly huge block of text <laughs> right on top of what I was talking about. That freaked me out. I'm so sorry, folks. A little inside baseball for you here. We have a shared. There's document. one other thing that we have to mention, and it's not okay, in this list, well, so I'm adding let's it. Let's get there when we get there. Uh, <laughs> I'm talking about Reina Hell right now, damn it. So, anyway, Reina Hell comes out and it's got like every cool magical character out there right and it's really quite good uh i reread part of it and and the reason i bring this up is because in the back the way it would work is you'd have the front part of the story and then there'd be like i don't know a six or eight page backup story which was all about dr occult it was dr occult he he hangs out with a, a elongated man and sue dibney after they're dead when they're like the ghost detectives you know uh i don't know if you know that after the after uh, Sue died. Uh, Ralph died as well. All that's horrible. Absolutely. Oh, I, but, didn't know, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Lord. But they came back as ghosts, and they were ghost detectives. 
which was great. So anyway, um, he's hanging out with Ralph and Sue at one point, and then he goes to Hell to go find Rose. And it's, it, throughout uh, the Reign of Hell miniseries, he has these like little six or eight page backup stories, and they're quite entertaining. I mean, he's there with Yellow Perry. It's really good. I enjoyed it. And then by the last issue, he's it's not a backup story. He's with the rest of the, the group there in Hell. So uh, anyway, I, I really enjoyed it. I really did feel like I got more of the you know the the hard edged. Cop, uh, a detective. I felt like I was getting more of the hard-edged supernatural detective in the Reign of Hell story. So that one gets my thumbs up. And by the way, it's out there on uh, the DC Universe app. By the way, so is JSA Returns. Uh, rather than having to find the All-Star Comics and the National Comics, it's all packaged together as JSA Returns as well. So both of those, great options. Uh, and if you really want to depress yourself, jump forward to, in the New 52, uh, Justice League Dark Number 12. came out in 2012. This is the first, uh, I guess, series, volume of uh, Justice League Dark. Yeah, he dies there. Aww. So. Very casually. So, and then Rob found this other thing, which is what freaked me out earlier. We posted the document. What'd you find, Rob? Well, he did get he did uh, headline his own one shot in 1994, the Vertigo Visions, Doctor Occult, and we got his own story. I have not read that comic. I looked for it on uh, Comicsology, and I couldn't find it. And I mean, I guess I could go get a back issue, but I, you know, a comic stores aren't open, and I haven't gotten around to <laughs> ordering off of eBay. But he did get, you know, that was the one time he was the headliner of his own book, uh, at least for that one issue. So, I mean, they were trying to do different things with him, and maybe I guess that wasn't a huge success and it didn't lead to anything else. But, you know, at least for one time, he was the, the headliner. Well, they did a lot of one-shots called Vertigo Visions. Right, um, right. I must have bought this because about this time I was buying every Vertigo book out there. Uh, for the first few years, I was totally in. Um, and it really, a lot of that spun out of Books of Magic because, you know, the, that really brought a lot of those characters to the forefront. But um, I don't remember it at all, though. Hmm. Okay. So for me, I think, and I think we've probably established this already, he works, out of all those comics we just talked about, he works best in sort of the original format. I like him, not necessarily with powers of his own, but able to channel powers through his mystic symbol and go out and battling supernatural stuff. That's when he's at his best. You know, put him in the fedora, put him in the trench coat, put him in, you know, as the, the hard-boiled detective. And that's, that's you know, it's you always say this about Hawkman. Like, how hard is it to do space cops? <laughs> right. Why yeah. is this so hard? And uh, same sort of thing with Dr. Cole. Yeah, I mean, like an Eduardo Barreto drawn Doctor Occult series. If they had said at the end of Who's Who, you know, oh, Doctor Occult's going to get his own series, I would have been like, I'm down for this, totally. You know where he would have excelled would have been like an adventure comics um, when when they were doing it was an anthology series. Oh, you get sure, like you know, yeah. eight pages of Aquaman, eight pages of Plastic Man, like an eight page Doctor Occult story in there. Oh, that would have been great. Yeah, would have been perfect. Yeah. You know, yeah. Can you imagine Aparo drawing that too? Oh my god. Oh well, jeez. Okay. Well, I, I, maybe, <laughs> I leaned, maybe I leaned into your sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Alan Brenner writes. You know, like okay, yeah. <laughs> So uh, now stepping on to other media, he hasn't actually broken out very much. Uh, I thought uh, he had, but no, he, he's been in a video game. He appeared in the DC Universe online game for anyone that played that. Uh, he was in a Justice League Unlimited comic. So he didn't actually make it into the cartoon apparently, but he made it into Justice League Unlimited number 14. And then Batman Brave and the Bold, he didn't make it into the cartoon, but he oh. did make it into the he did make it into the comic. <laughs> he made it issue number nine. So, and I was sure that he had made it into a Scooby-Doo team-up issue. I was convinced, or like you are, Detective Comics 500. I mean, I spent a long time searching for this, going, no, he absolutely was. I can't find it. So maybe I just imagine that. I don't know. Can I say in your notes you wrote here, it says, Batman teams up with him, Dr. Occult, Dr. Fate, Sargon the Sorcerer, and Zatanna in order to defeat the Void. When I first read that, I swear to God, I thought you wrote, in order to defeat the Noid, the, the, the master. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, is this another one of those Superman quick bunny team ups? It's like, what <laughs> the pizza tiger battles the noise. <laughs> I knew the noise was powerful. I didn't know he was that powerful that he square off gets Doctor Fate and still lived to see the day. But okay, but uh, and by the way, if that had been the comic, I probably would have liked it a lot more than I. I mean, I liked that issue because I liked that series in general. But I would have killed to see Batman and. You know, a bunch of magicians fight the Noid. That would... Oh, my God. <laughs> Batman Brave of the Bold style would be fun. That would be. So. <laughs> All right. Time for the final decision here. All right, Rob. We always ask the question. Beyond the who's who entries, is there more worthwhile to explore about this character out there? 
I say yes because I loved that initial story. I just thought it was crazy fun, and again, like I said, I would love to see more of them, and maybe they're maybe they peter out really quickly. Maybe the reason that they shifted over to Superman is that they just realized, ah, there's just not much to do with this guy. Oh, we have this other thing. Let's see if this is. Let's see if this works. But I, yeah, I think so. I mean, he got two great who's who listings. He's got a cool look. Other writers have found things to do with him. So yeah, I think there still is more despite that we weren't able to dig up a lot of really great stuff i will sort of echo what you're saying maybe not quite as enthusiastically like i i wish i could point to like a definitive run in the modern era at least of of him and be able to go oh you should read this story here or whatever this these backups that were all about him hit where he was the lead that's not out there i again I, i i would say read rain in hell i would say read jsa returns if you want some good stories with him in it in more of an iconic role uh, so I, I think there's a heck of a lot of potential, and I think there's a few stories to explore, but I think it's more uh, an untapped property, which could be great. Fair enough. All right. Well, folks, we're going to take a quick podcast promo break, and when we come back, we are going to cover your feedback on the last episode of Who's That, where we talked about – well, who did we talk about, Rob? Ultra the Multi-Alien. <laughs> Hey everyone, my name is Michael Bailey, and I like Superman. Like, a lot. Like, he's my favorite character. I like him so much that I have podcasted about the Man of Steel more than any other character. Back in 2017, I started a show called It All Comes Back to Superman, to serve as the monthly reaffirmation of my Kryptonian faith. Well, the monthly thing hasn't worked out, but I'm hoping to change that in 2020. This year, there will be at least one episode a month of the show, and most of those will be part of a series I'm calling Superman is for Everybody. Superman is for Everybody springs from my desire to talk to people that have channeled their love and affection for the character into other avenues, like cosplay, or podcasting, or academia. New episodes will drop in the first or second week of the month, with special episodes popping up at random because that's how I roll, apparently. It all comes back to Superman as part of the Fortress of Bailey-Tude podcasting network, which can be found at www.fortressofbailey2.com. The show is available through Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, and it's even on Spotify. It all comes back to Superman. Because really, it does. Give me a few minutes and I'll make the connection. Why are you walking away? I'm not done talking to you. Hi, Maggie. What are you writing? Oh, hi, John. I'm writing down ideas for a new promo for Married with Comics. I like our old promo. But the clips from the old promo are from an episode that's never even aired. It's lazy podcasting. But we're incredibly lazy podcasters. And the only thing you've written down are the words, come up with ideas for the new promo. Well, I guess we'll just have to fall back on plan B, then. Uh, B for blackmail professional podcast guest Tim Price into doing a Mephisto bit? Exactly. Greetings, internerds! It is I, Mephisto, ruler of the netherworld and prince of all evil. I am taking this time for my evil machinations to issue a warning to everyone in podcast land. Avoid married with comics with John and Maggie at all costs. They're a despicably lovable pair of newlyweds who talk about comic books and other areas of geekdom with enthusiasm and joy that is anathema to me. Ugh. Just listen to them as they paraphrase panels. For those who don't have the issue, Thor's expression is pretty much that of anyone who reads this issue pretty once much. you're done with it. Yeah. You, you there, everyone's sick of this and sick of you. I am pointing where you need to go, which is away from here and away from this issue. (laughs) And I do love that first panel. It's pretty neat. I like it. Batman going swoosh. Explain exposition. I have no idea what's happening. In this one, it looks like Superman's tearing a bridge down. Why is he destroying a bridge? I think this is part of his eventual reign of terror. Is, yeah, oh, maybe. Another thing. The bridge. <laughs> Screw that. <laughs> and comment on all their favorite comics. Everything about this issue is just gollywhackers. <laughs> 
He's causing huge amounts of property damage, which, by the way, at least when the Fantastic Four does it, they pay the city back. Superman's not going to pay anybody back for this. Married with Comics, available directly at marriedwcomics.libson.com on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on Facebook or Twitter by searching for Married with Comics Podcast. We've got everything you need. All right, folks, we are back with Who's Who, How's, and Why's. This is your feedback from the last episode, and uh, you know what? It's never going to get old. Rob, who are we talking about? Ultra the Multi-Alien. Look, how many times <laughs> am I going to really get after this? How many times is he going to come up? So, you know, <laughs> give me a chance to just get it done a couple more times. So just a reminder, we're just pulling your comments from the website and the emails. Uh, so much overwhelming feedback we get. Uh, we, we can't compile all of it from social media anymore. So, uh, so again, if you want to be included on the next episode of uh, Who's That? Feedback on Dr. Cult, leave it on our website. Rob, what's that website? Fireandwaterpodcast.com. There you go. And here are your comments. All right. Rob, take it away. Yeah, first one is from Joe X. He says, uh, Ultra got a, excuse me, Ultra, the multi-alien. <laughs> also got a single panel cameos in JLA, The Nail, and Kingdom Come. But I guess he was too goofy for Chaikin and Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, to use in Twilight. I also wanted to say he was in the DC Challenge, but I guess that was just wishful thinking on my part. <laughs> <laughs> Good one, guys. Can't wait until the next episode. Well, thank you, Joe. I, I think Howard Chaikin didn't use him because he probably couldn't figure a way to have like some explicit sex scene with Ultra the Multi Alien, which is probably a good thing. Uh, so that means that's twice Alan Davis has drawn Ultra then because he did the cover of the Silver that's right. the Sci-Fi Silver Age Companion as that's well. That's right. That's right. Nice. Uh, and then Siskoid, of course, from our network, uh, responded to Joe by saying he also got a story in the Adventures in the DC Universe number five, event- effectively making him part of the DCAU. Was in two episodes of Batman: Brave and the Bold, Siege of Starro Part One, and Might fall and it's scooby-doo team up 24 i believe we have a chance to cover that now i believe he was also in multiversity but i can't prove it right now if any of this is in the episode my apologies i'm part way through <laughs> oh gee. yes just we mentioned it all no not even a little bit no. <laughs> uh then we heard from matt Royce. matt i said your last name wrong i know i did no that's uh, that's right it's right Oh, fantastic. Okay. He says, Who's That has quickly become one of my favorite shows on the network. I think any comic fan who grew up in the 80s and read Who's Who encountered a character that became their Who's That. And Ultra was definitely one of mine. How could anyone see this guy and not be intrigued? Unfortunately for me, it wasn't until this episode that I got to learn any more about him besides his original entry. So thank you very much, Robin Shag. And then he says, The Mercenaries were another one of my Who's That, although if I recall, uh, neither of you were all that intrigued by their entry. Oh, well, at least I managed to track down most of their GI combat appearances. Well, you know what? Just by the very act of throwing the name out there, that's going to get me to look them up again. And who knows? Maybe they'll show up on one of these episodes, especially now that I've gotten a taste for uh, more war comics. I, I really like those now. Yeah, never say never. Uh, Martin Gray from the Too Dangerous for a Girl blog says that Ultra Logo is fantastic. And I love the Milt Snap and style flash reminiscent treatment of the of the the on the original comics. Uh, as I said, when Ultra came up previously, the John K. Snyder image is indeed brilliant. Well, bar the fact that he lost his tidy whiteies, they were hot. Uh, <laughs> Lee Elias was so good. Just look at that headshot of the Harry Green guy on the third panel of page six. He's beyond sinister. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Martin. Lee Elias is terrific. He's one of those guys that I just didn't appreciate. Uh, and then I've gone back and looked at his artwork. And boy, it's really sharp stuff. Yeah, it's good stuff. And by the way, Martin it, it continues on with that Tidy Whitey's thing. He's yes. really into that. <laughs> yeah, I, I purposely didn't highlight that part of the, uh, part of the comment. Uh, Chris Franklin, of course, from our network, uh, he leaves a comment. He says, fun show, guys. I think Ultra has enormous potential, especially as a cartoon toy line. See, Chris, Chris and I share the same brain. He says, just imagine getting a four-pack of the aliens, but they can be broken apart and reassembled to make Ultra. Oh, my God. See, it's perfect. Kids would eat this up as it is fits into the Ben 10 ideal, which is, of course, very similar to Dial H for Hero. Love the John K. Snyder entry and the Lee Elias artwork. That serpent is indeed masterful. Great discussion. Thank you, Chris. That, disturb- that, that serpent was amazing. And, oh, that, his toy idea is amazing. What a great I love toy. This idea. Yeah, super toy. Yeah. It's the, the ultimate build-a-figure. So, yep, right. yep. 
Then we heard from Dr. Ange from the Supergirl blog and Comic Box Commentary and, of course, the Legion of Superbloggers. He says, love the Ultra Who's Who entries, both of them. I'm surprised that Perez didn't sneak him somewhere into Crisis on Infinite Earths. I'll have to check my index when I get home. You know, darn it, I meant to look in this poster. I bet he's in here somewhere. I bet he is. Hmm. I mean, there's 500 characters on this poster. How could he not be? So, All right, then we heard from Liz Ann Oswald, who has her own YouTube channel. Uh, Liz says, John K. Schneider's art style reminds me of Sam Keith, which could be the guy to draw and write Ultra. Judging from what he did on Max, uh, he could do well with Arn. You know, that's a good suggestion, Liz. I think uh, Keith, um, Sam Keith's really got a really interesting style. I was rereading his Sandman stuff just recently, too. He could do some kind of dark and maybe even some creepier stories there for, uh, for Ultra. That'd be pretty cool. All right, then we're from Jason Pope, who's uh, he's also an additional list, a listener. He's a graphic designer and an illustrator. Uh, posts stuff under the name Pope Art, so check that out. He says Ultra the Multi Alien is probably one of the most poorly designed characters in all of comics. <gasps> Gasp! But maybe that's why I'm so drawn to him. Ever since I first ran into him in his first Who's Who listing, I've picked up every single issue of Mystery in Space that I've run across in the back issue bins, which means I still have three or four more to find. Ultra's the kind of character that makes you wonder, what were they thinking? But you're glad they did. So much joy and so much fun in Ultra. Awesome. You know, I, he scared me there at first. I thought this was going to go in a bad way, but Jason redeemed himself. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I pulled it out there. Uh, Edo Boznar says, wow, never heard of Ultra before, but it's a testament, testament to your podcast to your pod- talents that I'm now interested in the character. character. That image by Snyder is indeed amazing. I'd read the hell out of an Ultra story drawn by him. Anyway, fair is fair, I think. Your next episode of Who's That should cover pre-crisis ultra and that is the two a's ultra character from the justice league of america comic uh, which we're not going to be doing oh, oh, oh wow okay uh definitive decision there all right uh he's got such pretty hair though you know and one thing that's bothering me about all this feedback is you know we got to that final decision section and i said no there's no more to do to find with ultra but like everyone's ignoring that completely and they're just <laughs> like i want to read more ultra I agree, guys. I would like to read more Ultra, the stories that are in my head, not the ones that were actually printed. So, All right. Uh, we're from Gotho's Mansion. He says, how do I not remember hearing about Ultra? I've got plenty of 60s Bat and Super titles, so I had to see that house at at some point. But that isn't some kind of thing you <laughs> – but that isn't the kind of thing you can unsee. The chicken foot is just bizarre. He goes, really, I thought Comet the Super Horse trying to romance Supergirl in Lois Lane, which was the weirdest thing going on at DC back then. But I may have been mistaken. I don't know what recreational substances were going on at the DC offices back then, but I think I might like to try some of them. (laughs) Oh, the heady days of DC. (laughs) Devin Clancy says, uh, I was hoping this was Ultra. Again, the two A's, the only Earth Prime hero. Sorry, Devin. You're going to have to form the Ultra fan group with uh, Edo, I guess. So what's going on there? Just be the two of you. Why do you hate him with his purple outfit and the hair and everything? I'm just saying, there's not, there's not a lot there. That's all okay. I'm saying. I actually dragged him into a, a DC role playing game at one point because I just thought he had such a cool look. So, all right. <laughs> uh, then we heard from Gus Casals who goes, "I love the documentary feel to this episode with the clips from the previous Who's Who podcast, the Conan bit, and uh, most specifically the John K. Schneider audio clip, which left me thinking about something he mentions having some kind of Mark Wade involvement. And you refer several times to the quote thinking as pictograms resource. Well, a few years later, Mark Wade incorporated this idea into his Impulse comic as wonderfully illustrated by Humberto Ramos. Inspiration? Collective unconsciousness? Theft? You decide. You know, Gus, uh, you make a good point. That occurred to me as well. When I was talking to John K. Schneider at the convention and he mentioned Mark Wade, that was the first thing I thought of was impulse and the pictograms. Uh, I didn't necessarily think of it as a theft idea where you took it to. I mean, you, you could be onto something there, but uh, it, I, you can't help but draw the comparison. That's fair. So Ward Hill Terry writes in and he says, I was wondering how you were going to get an hour out of talking about Ultra the Multi-Alien. Come on, Ward. Uh, why? With a clip show or album issue to keep it in the genre. Uh, thank you for reading my letter, but maybe you should have read it before you did the research. According to Amazing Mike, uh, the basic, Mike's Amazing World of Comics, DC Comics, Ultra was a Jack Schiff character because Schiff was the editor of Mystery in Space and very little else. Ultra's last appearance was in the final issue of Mystery in Space. Cancelled book equals cancelled character. Schiff was editing Dolly Hero and House of Mystery, but did not seem to have a lot of interest in developing more regularly appearing characters, and he was gone from DC slash National within a year of Mystery Science, Mystery Science, Mystery in Space. <laughs> 
cases cancellation. <laughs> other editors would have had very little reason to dust off and use some other editor's failed character. Ultra really wouldn't have fit in with Robert Canigler's stable. Great show, fellas. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, yeah. I mean, that that's all that is true. All that is true. That yeah, there would be no reason why you would think this character didn't set the world on fire. So let me dig him out again, especially Robert Kanneker. <laughs> you know, it's it's two comments now talking about how we basically did a clip show. I didn't really think about that, but yeah, to some extent, we did a little bit. Look at us. Uh, they were from Mike Dynas. He goes, thanks for a great episode, and it did exactly what I set out to do. I'm now intrigued in this character. A sheer joy in your voices as you recount Ultra's entries are great. I remember seeing this in the original Who's Who and thinking, this is too nutty. And I'm not sure it was the chicken leg or the tidy whities but it just seemed too much. But because of this episode and seeing some of those panels, I'm much more intrigued by that nuttiness. And uh, then there's a lot of back and forth that follows this. Rob, you want to talk about it? Yeah, there was a whole discussion between Mike and Martin Gray and Siskoid and Tim Price. Uh, and, and then I offered up that I realized that DC really blew the chance to market Ultra the multivitamin. That would have been amazing. Oh gosh. So there's all this other pithy comments, but Rob just wants to highlight his own. See how that works, guys? <laughs> all right, folks. Well... That's going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for your feedback. Again, go out to our website, firewaterpodcast.com. Go to the Who's Who tab. Find this episode of Who's That ep- uh, Number 5, all about Dr. Cult, and share your thoughts. And you might get read on the very next episode. And uh, while you're there, you can check out the image gallery. I'm going to post the, the f- those four one-pagers. Uh, maybe a panel or two from All Star Squadron. I'm not sure, uh, and, and maybe something from Secret Origins. You'll see uh, some of that out there. You can just see how, and the Who's Who entries, just so you can see how boss he really looks. It's really fantastic. So, and then next episode, we're gonna keep you in the dark. Uh, we're not so. letting you guys pick it next time. That's for damn sure. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. So that's going to do it. So head out to our social media. Rob, where can they find us on Facebook and Twitter? Uh, of course, uh, on Twitter, we're at FW Podcast. We're on Facebook. And again, as the website is firewaterpodcast.com. There we go. Head out there, folks. We want to hear from you. So uh, until next time, who's, who's next? next? Democracy simply doesn't work.